Welcome to Out of Game, a podcast featuring unique segments and discussions about board games, card games, RPGs, gamers, and gamer culture. Here are your hosts, Ryan, Chris, and Tim, as they go out of game. Welcome to episode 43 of Out of Game. 43. This is Ryan. This is Chris. This is Tim. And we are a podcast about board Board games. games. Very efficient. (laughs) Good job, guys. Today's episode is, of course, a listener's corner episode. Listener's corner, yeah. We get to talk about uh, listener questions. Yep. We got more questions we want to answer. And we need more new questions. We do. If you want to send us questions, please email outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. And as we said before... The more recent the questions are, the sooner we will answer them. Yeah, last in, first out. Makes no sense, but that's what we're going to do. That's how it works. So if you've been waiting, you're just going to have to keep waiting. <laughs> but before we go, go into the listener's corner, let's do the spawn point. Spawn point. So, so Ryan has an interesting spawn point is the rumor that I'm hearing. I do. Hmm. And I don't know. I don't know. How far this conversation is going to go, but I have a confession to make. Oh, here we go. Oh, confession quarter. Finally happening. I have been watching The Bachelorette. Oh, how about that? Oh, my. I don't know. Chris has been watching. I've been waiting to ask you on the podcast. Of course I've been watching. Okay. So The Bachelorette. Well, my first question is what got you into it? All right. Both of you. Man cards now. (laughs) (laughs) What got me into it was we... Esther and I literally ran out of shows to watch, and I saw it pop up on there, and I was like, I don't know, let's give it a try. So I turned it on, and then it was like strangely addictive. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It sucked in. It's a great show to watch with your wife, too. Yeah. So, you know, we've been watching it. We have a little problem with the girl that's on it. Yeah. She, um... She likes to uh, like have a minute of conversation and four minutes of kissing. Like, if you watch every single conversation she has with someone, and maybe this is like what it's like every time. It's like they talk for two minutes and they kiss for five minutes. It's like, how are they getting to know Well, each other? that's an exaggeration. I don't know. It's they, not for five minutes. They do not have... They kiss longer than they talk. They, <laughs> they show them talking. I don't understand how she's getting to know any of them besides just how... how yeah, they well, chemistry is part of it. So as a longtime watcher of the show, and Tim, you'll be interested in this. I can tell you yeah, all. He looks super interested. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think so. I wish we had video right now. <laughs> But yeah, the uh, chemistry is part of any relationship. It's not all about your personality. You need to know if you're clicking. So there's got to be some kissing in there. But the, but you're right. I think getting to know each other should be the priority. And hopefully she's doing that. But Becca, who's the girl in the show, nah, not the brightest bulb. Yeah, she's picking some weird guys. Yeah, they they the way they pick the who the Bachelorette is is based on last season of The Bachelor, like the girls who didn't make it but came close, and she got completely screwed by the the way it worked out because the guy picked her and then reneged on his pick and picked the other girl after he proposed to her. He actually proposed to her, and then he just couldn't get the other girl out of his mind, and it kept uh, showing. Him. I didn't know that's what he happened. was pulling his hair out. And he's like, what do I do? I love uh, the other one. I can't remember her name. But he proposed to Becca. And it's not his fault because they they make you do this process in such a short time from date one, from meeting them to proposal. And it's this rush job. And so he's trying to make the decision and he got it wrong. So what does he do? Does he go through with it? No. Yeah. He's got to fess up. So he was just honest with her. And he said, I'm sorry. I, 
I can't stop thinking about her. And he broke up with her, broke her heart. I mean, she was devastated. He, it shows him go to the other girl. And you're thinking, is she going to even want him? Yeah. Cause she, he let her go for Becca, but she did take him back. So did they get married? Uh, they were engaged. That never happens. <laughs> no, some of them are married. Some of them are still married. Yeah. It's about the same ratio as real life. It's about 50%. <laughs> so, but, but so they said, you know, we're going to give Becca the bachelorette because she deserves it. And people felt sorry for her. And in hindsight, I think probably it was the right decision, but you're right. She's, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of her personally, but, but I, I do think she deserved to be picked. Esther doesn't, does not like her at all. Yeah. All right. Moving on. That was a short small point. Tim, did you have a small point? I, I can't think after that. No, I no? just, no, that I just, bring us back in the game. I, I, I got yeah. this uh, sour taste in my you, mouth. I don't know. Is the bathroom done? No. Any progress? No, no, what's, the, what's the story? No, this is, it's, uh, I've been working on uh, cabinetry for my closet upstairs. So tube once, in the floor? Yeah. So and now we're into summer season, so it's camping in fake Wisconsin and all that stuff. So mm. Maybe we should just pull the camper up to the basement window, and we can just go in there and go to the bathroom. <laughs> You'd still be going upstairs, though. Isn't there like a window we could climb out of? Yeah, but you'd still be going up. It's all right. Stairs are easier. <laughs> and the ladder that's in the escape window is on the other side of the house. Uh, so. Okay. Yeah, it's not going to work. Maybe we could take the bathroom out of the camper and put it in your basement. Mm. You know, you can take the bathroom out of the camper, but you can't take the camper out of the Why bathroom. Why don't we just, can't we just <laughs> put like a toilet seat over that tube and just sit on it? Sit on it? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, no. Eh, I guess we wouldn't want to sit on no. that. No. Yeah, no. Well, we could just put it there and lift the lid and just pee into the tube. There you go. Now you're talking. No. Would that work, yeah. or do you need chamber a flushing element? Chamber pot. No, no chamber pots. No? That would a sanitary you, problem. You, Probably want some kind of flushing thing. Yeah. The big part there is the you know you got to get past the trap. Well, just if it doesn't get past the trap, have you're a in bucket trouble. of water down there. Just dump it in the hole. Well, then you got to go upstairs and fill up the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> could br- run a hose down. Just turn the hose on. <laughs> there's a there's a solution to any problem, Tim. Well, don't forget, Tim. This is your New Year's resolution that we decided yes. for you. Well, this the construction will commence uh, once it gets colder. Mm. Fair enough. Moving on. Moving on. Let's do some listener questions. Listener's Corner. Remember, folks, Dice Tower Network cares. Well, the first question I have is, uh, it's actually more of a comment. This is by Scott, longtime listener. He said, the one big request I have is to be sure to stick to topics you have an opinion on. If it comes to a choice between a topic that seems interesting versus one or more of you having strong opinions on go with the latter. I really enjoy the back and forth between the three of you, and I think that it's the heart of the podcast more so than a specific topic. Heck, if, you just, if you're out of ideas, just have one person talk about a game he loves while the other two chime in with rebuttals. I just I have a note here. It's a really good point. I like that he said that because I feel the same way when I listen back. Rather than picking quote-unquote interesting topics like how to better organize your games... <laughs> Sorry. No, I know a lot of people like that, too. But this is Scott's point is basically that when you guys have strong opinions, it's interesting. So I think it's a good point. I agree. And I actually used this advice when I was going through our topics. So yeah. I try not to just pick topics just to talk about them. I, it's way more interesting to the listeners and even to me when we're discussing if it's something that one of us is passionate about. So, like, for example, last time we had the question about game organization now if none of us were interested in that it would be completely boring but since one of us is passionate about it it's only slightly boring (laughs) (laughs) makes all the difference but we did get some positive feedback on that i think we did we had some listeners ben the ambassador 
appreciated that. Jason, our friend from BGGCon. I was almost, I was, I was listening in my car and like drifted off of my lane during that. <laughs> but I have this lane departure warning thing in my car where it tells you if you're going out of your lane so you don't fall asleep at the wheel. Nice. Next question. Next question. Well, the next one I have is top 10 lists. I saw that you had one in the first episode. Did they change a lot? Nothing at all. And just talk about the general concept of top 10 lists. And uh, the reason I singled this out is I think it's interesting how we choose our lists. When we go over our best games of the year, for example, or whenever we have a top 10 episode, looking at the lists evolution is interesting because I think all of our lists are very different. Uh, Like Ryan gets very into a game, like very passionate, and he'll have it at his number one. But then... It could betray him in some way, and it'll be forgotten. Like, it won't even be in the top ten. True. And for me, I like looking at – we have this Hall of Fame list that we started where it's sort of like a – these are the games that are your favorite, but you're not playing them anymore. So I look at when games, when they fall out of my top ten, I decide if they deserve to be in like a long-term list, like the Hall of Fame list. But I look at top ten as current favorites. If you're in an island, what games would you take? If you're going to a four-day weekend, what games would you take? What would you play right now? Those would be your top 10. But I just thought it was an interesting topic because I think different people have different lists. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of people refer to the games you like right now as the hot 10 instead of the top 10. That's a good, good way to think of it. Okay. I, think. I don't like that. No? No. Of course you don't. Because hot implies that there's some sort of group consensus, which mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think that when you're making your list, it should be it's yours. Okay. I don't Going by group because there's so many times when. My hot top 10. Yeah, but what's the difference then? Hot implies, it's sort of like when you look at Netflix or the App Store and it's like the trending now. That's what hot list implies to me. It's in other words, what is getting a lot of buzz. And so many times I look at those lists and they're games that I just don't like. I don't know if I'm not getting it or like what's the story. But hot and good don't go hand in hand to me. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, yeah. But sometimes they don't and I think they should. There's a reason the Dice Tower does top tens of everything is because people actually really like hearing top tens. Yeah. And getting things ranked. And a lot of times, too, if if that top ten has a lot of games that you don't have or haven't played, that's probably what gets people to play them, too. Sure. So who sent in that question? That was sent in by Alchemist. Next question is from Dennis Hoyle, longtime listener and submitter of questions. His question is, how mainstream do you think gaming is going to get? How mainstream... I think it's there. It's, it's going to be, I think, as the same as video games are for people. It's, it's going to be a little niche group of people that enjoy doing it. And it's it's bigger than it's been, but I don't see this. You know, every family is not going to be going out and getting these games. It's still going to remain niche for people who are interested in these types of games. You know, your typical family is going to go buy Monopoly and Life, and they're not going to extend beyond that. So, so you don't think we can break into that market? I don't think you're going to break into that market, no. I think you some games may cross over, you know, maybe the crypto crosses over or something like that. But I think in general, it's going to remain kind of the the niche. I think the key will be if like a big player gets involved, like if Hasbro. You mean like Vin Diesel? <laughs> no, not not, a not but the, the Rock. So I don't know if you heard the news, but Asmodee North America has actually publicly stated that they're for sale. They're looking for buyers. So. I think this could mean if a company like Hasbro buys them and puts all that money behind it and can they could they could actually get these games into more stores through distribution. The stores is not the issue. 
you can put this in as many stores as you want, but you need the average Joe to go in and be like, hey, this scythe thing looks interesting. Well, if it's on the shelf next to like some boring games, though, they might pick it. That'll never happen. No, I no? think I think in general this is a it's a cultural kind of thing. There's there is a niche market. There's, there's the group of people that play Dungeons and Dragons. There is the group of people that LARP. You're not going to get the average family to do these things. So having it on the shelf next to Connect Four and Monopoly is not going to increase sales. I don't think. Hmm. I I think Dennis's question is good though. Um, I mean, BGG Con for example. If you look at the crowd there, how mainstream would you say that crowd is? That's an interesting point. It's not really mainstream. There's, we were we were having dinner at the uh, restaurant in the hotel, and I remember I think it was Dennis was with us. We were talking about his Mars golfing game, and and we were sitting there, and I overheard somebody at the other table saying, "Hey, there's a that that that's like Will Fishbine. He invented King Tut Vampire Slayer. He's he's the designer." <laughs> And then there were people, oh, and I, and I was expecting to look and see like a Sean Connery type guy with a suit. And and it's a guy, you know, he's like got like a neck beard and he's not dressed that well. And they, they were talking about they wanted to like smell his chair when he left. And what they, they, the way they were worshiping him, <laughs> the way they were worshiping him made me think I was in the wrong place. Let me put it that way. That is a really disgusting mental image. I had the moment there where I was just thinking, I'm looking around and like, I, did, I didn't feel like I belonged there. And that was sort of, uh, we, were, we were talking about going again. Now, the idea that this could ever become mainstream will never happen. People will never think that way. Like mainstream people, they will, they're going to play life. They would rather play lowest common denominator games where it's not as interesting and strategic, but it's more for everybody. Like mom can play and sister can play. And that's why you have games that are what we would say aren't, aren't as good that are popular. But there are crossover games. The problem is you need word of mouth. You need advertising. Who knows about Decrypto? Who knows about uh, what's that Mahjong type game that I like? Dragon Castle. Dra- Dragon Castle. Yeah. Who would even know to buy that game? That's a really good game. And I think a lot of people would like it. But well, how do you get the word out? And then even beyond the word. How do you get people to realize they would probably like it? Well, someone like Hasbro, though, could get the word out. Like, if, right. if they put their money behind marketing it and, you know, there's a chance it could get out. You still need word of mouth then. Yeah. Because just because I see a commercial for it doesn't mean I'm going to buy it. But if my neighbor says, you know, this game is really fun, you know, you should try it. And then you try it and like it. People have to like it. And so, I don't know, it's a, it's a hard formula. You got to hit a lot of buttons to make it work. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I don't. Part of the other thing is it goes against the grain to play a board game versus playing a video game or an app with especially with the the new, you know, millennials and the generations after that. They're going to come up with everything being digital and they don't have that. Like we can look back at a time where we weren't like that and we kind of remember it fondly and we want to get back to that in some ways. And if you grow up not ever having that, you don't know what you're missing. Like they would be like, why would I play a board game that's like annoying to get out and play when I can just play on my phone or play a video game? Yeah, but again, some games I think millennials like, for example, um, Dennis's game, the the golf game. Mm-hmm. I think they would like that just because it's not on an app. In fact, I would. I think it's interesting. That would be a future episode to talk about millennials and board gaming. Yeah, and if they're too digital, we need a millennial. We need to bring some yeah. one of our friends on or something. That would be interesting. Yeah. 
but we should ask them about that because there is something to the whole need it now, need it quick, need it digital versus sitting down and playing a game. But I think they're missing out because there's a element of fun to sitting down to play a game that you don't have behind the computer or with your Xbox. All right. Moving on to a question from no beard, the pirate. (laughs) It's a great, that's a great name. I would like you to talk about your thoughts on blinging out your board games includes game inserts, upgraded components, storage solutions, companies like meeple source, board game totes and carry bads, etc. For me, bling out the game, the tokens, forget the storage. I mean, that's just putting it away. Just throw it all in the box, whatever, get in there. Bling out the the, the pieces because that's what you're going to see. That's what you're going to play with. The storage is just eh, whatever. The reason for the storage isn't so much for bling. It's for convenience. Yeah, plano. Cheap box. Something if, like that. If the storage solution helps you set up the game faster, I think it's worth it. Because I had I had like Scythe in Plano boxes, and it would take forever to set up. But they're they're designing these storage solutions with the sole purpose of not only fitting in the box, but you being able to just take out the pieces and have the game set up. So that's how they're like marketing it. Like you can set up this game in five minutes now, where it used to take fifteen. If it if that does it, then I could go there. Yeah, but I'm still I'm just going to focus on the pieces. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a I'm a mini guy, a piece guy. Yeah, I'm I'm kind Bonny of at guy. the place right now where. If it's a game I really like, I want to get like the nicest version of it that I can. And I'm disappointed if I have to play the subpar version. Like does it I, matter how often you play, though? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I only do this for games that I really like or I think I'm going to really like. Like Rising Sun, I kind of went on faith and got and back the Kickstarter because of all the exclusive components and extras that, it, that I got. And it turned out okay, but Scythe... Oh, I guess I did the same thing with Scythe, now that I think about it. Yeah. So I've gotten lucky twice. But if I was going to take a game I already own, it would have to be a game I really liked if I was going to upgrade. Yeah, I think components. blinging out a game makes sense if you're going to play the game a lot. Yeah. And the other the other thought I, that I would consider is if you're like me and you're trying to avoid buying new games, it's a good way to spend your game budget. So instead of instead of spending your budget on a new game, like bling out one of your existing games. Then you can you feel like you're getting something, but you're not increasing your magic number. How are you avoiding buying new games, by the way? How is that? How are you able to? Because aren't you reading about games that you're interested in? Yeah. How are you avoiding it? Uh, I just, when I buy new games, I play them right away now. So I'm doing what I said I was going to do, but I've still got like the six games left that I've never played. But aren't you buying less? No. Oh, you're not. Oh. I, I've been buying and then playing them right away. <laughs> like any good addict. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's better than buying, stockpiling them and not playing them, which True. is what I used to do. Yeah, it's what I've been doing with Imperial Assault. Yeah. Yeah. Still haven't played. <laughs> Your gaming resolution two years in a row, right? Yeah. 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 You got not time. Happy. I got to find somebody who actually wants to play. Got six months. So what is this game? Uh, what's a, what's a comparable? Like D&D if you're just playing scenarios. So like you all have a scenario, you have to complete this objective and you have miniatures on a board and there's a person running the game who is like the moderator. The same as a moderator? Well, yeah. no, I mean, one guy's playing the umpire when the other people are playing rebel. So there's four rebel players and then the, whoever's playing the umpire is kind of like the GM. Yeah. So he's setting up the scenario and he has the rules on how things are going to go and stuff like that. And then the four players are coming into the scenario and trying to complete it. 
So that uh, the the Empire guy doesn't really play the game. Oh no, he plays the game because he has if he if he does well, he gets bonuses, and if they do well, they get bonuses, and it kind of plays through the scenario. So, so it's a co op with a common component. It's a co op for all the rebel players against the one Empire player. Interesting. Or they have an app that can do the moderating for you if you want to do full co op. And what is the gameplay like? Is it like X Wing or is it like on a board? No, it's on a board. They have. Pla- you know, punch out cardboard uh, tiles that you build, you know, when you ha- you have a map and you basically take the tiles that were included in the game and you build the map with these tiles. And then there's an insertion point for the rebels. There's other points within the game that the rebels need to get to or go destroy this or go capture this. And then there's the position for all the starting Imperial figures. And then you can have reinforcements and stuff. So when certain things happen, the Empire could get reinforcements, and so is that a game Jim would play? Yeah, oh, I've I've intended on playing with him and my other brother and and his son, and uh, three times now uh, the two have dropped out, and only Jim's been there. So I might just play with Jim and have him run four characters and just say, "Forget it, we're just going to do it." Yeah, you could do the the automated Empire. <sighs> I don't want to do that. Anymore. No, nah, no. Nah. How else can you play with two people then? I'm the Empire. He gets to play all four rebels. Oh, uh, yeah. I would play it solo. If it was me. <laughs> I would use the app to play the moderator, and I would just play. Moving on to Chris's next question. Oh, my next question. So the next one I have is from, his name is Mr. L-T-M-R-I-S. Um, he talks about uh, music in games, and it's it's an interesting thing. He says, do people use and play music as a background while playing games? And that's something we've started to do recently. We actually do that quite a bit. We do, and I've noticed that it's... It's pretty easy now using Amazon or Spotify or YouTube and just finding theme music yeah. as you're, you know, just put on your phone and set your phone down. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I sort of enjoy doing that. And I think that one of the things I've noticed is theme music adds a lot in other types of games. So why not do it in board games? They they do this in video games, I noticed, too. There's a game in Xbox uh, called Fallout. And specifically Fallout 4, they play this soundtrack throughout. There's, it's like a, you have a device on your wrist and you can change radio stations. There's one radio station. It's, it's like on a loop, but they're real songs from a different era, like forties and fifties, but they're a little obscure. Like you wouldn't recognize them, but they start, they're catchy. And there's one song that's so sad that I can't even listen to it now. <laughs> it reminds me just of this post apocalyptic era. It's called The End of the World by Skeeter Davis. I could not even... Li- I, if you, one of you guys played that song, I would leave the room. It's that sad. It's it, it moves me. There's a song called Undecided by Ella Fitzgerald. And we do this in RPGs where we play a soundtrack Yeah. when we're doing the role playing. And it's sort of... Sometimes the music gels and sort of creates this environment. Why not do it in board games? We did this with Egyptian music. Um, we did this with we did fantasy music. Fantasy music. We did some Space. stuff for when we're doing... Uh, Dead of Winter. Yeah, we, the zombie. We've done a bunch. Yeah. So there's a website called Melodice. It's M-E-L-O-D-I-C-E dot org. Org. You, yeah. So you can go to the site, just enter the name of a game, and it gives you a playlist of well, songs. Wait, play. why couldn't they buy the com address? Was it like taken? Maybe. That's... Well, I'm making sure. Yeah. It Melodice bothers me more than org. it should. So it you search for a game, and it, it just gives you a playlist. 90% of the time, it's a good playlist. The one downside is it uses YouTube. So it doesn't go to YouTube, but it, it's somehow using YouTube. So if you turn your screen off and you just you don't have a paid YouTube account, it turns the music off. Why didn't they pick a different domain name? If they, if, 
if the if the name they wanted didn't have the com available, why did they just say, "Well, let's just do org"? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why is that funny? I'm going to so com to see what it is. I, I just think that... <laughs> it's like two people kissing. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so not Melodice.com, Melodice.org. That's funny. You could have done like Mellow Gaming. But I've got a paid YouTube account. Totally worth it, by the way. And yeah. it's $10 a month. You can turn your screen off and it gives you Google Play Music. And there's no ads. Yeah. Totally I'm, I'm There's almost no other way to get music for free either. So yeah. Well, it gives you the music for free is like a added benefit. Yeah, that's what's great about it. It's convenient is the yeah. main thing. The no ads is actually huge, especially like when your kids are watching yeah. YouTube and then like these random ads come on. So anyway, go out so, to Melodice, give it a shot. Yeah. Next question. Next question. Let me go back up from page forty to page one. Author Yin Wolf discussing bringing up new games with significant others. So he'd like us to. This question is basically how do you how do you bring games to your significant other? Well, we've touched on this before. It's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this isn't really for a lot of our significant others. It's not their thing, and so in some cases they're doing us a favor by you know we'll we'll, we'll sacrifice our time and play the game with you. And they might enjoy it a little bit, but they're not going to go out of the way to ask to do it again. So right. we're sort of fooling ourselves. I mean, Esther was really sweet to like go to Origins with you. I mean, she didn't want to be there. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> she asked me this year if we were going to go. Yeah, if you're going to go. She didn't say, can we go? <laughs> <laughs> I think you would have fallen over if she said, Brian, can we go to Origins? <laughs> So I don't know. I think that what you have to do is find games that you think she'll like. Don't try to yep. get her to play games that you like, knowing that it's going to be a, a an effort. Games like Century Golem Edition, those are simple games that the mechanic isn't too difficult. It's easy to so that they don't check out as you're explaining the rules. There's a lot of lightweight games out now. We we played some at SauceCon, which we covered a long time ago in our last episode, and. I think that you could tap into those, but yep. I think a lot of it has to do with game choice. And it's not so, I mean, it's not lightweight as, yeah, the lighter games, the gateway games, but not just that, the theme is important too. Pick a theme that's something that would interest them. I made the mistake as an early gamer of just, I, I had a bunch of games I wanted to play and I just assumed Esther would play them with me. It didn't matter what it was. Big mistake. Yeah. And you know, now I know the, type, the types of themes and everything. That well, like photosynthesis, for example, that's to your point. The theme is interesting to any person. Right. And actually, that particular theme might be more interesting to them than maybe a more complex, like an Egyptian theme or something. Yeah, if it's if it's a, if you're talking about your wife. Now, on the flip side of this, if you're a, a female and your significant other isn't a gamer, you know, they might not want to play Rococo, which is a game about making dresses. So you might want to try to pick a game that would maybe be more interested to them, uh, theme-wise. Like maybe pick a game ba- based off a video game that they like or something like that. So yeah, you can also make deals too. Like if you play this game, then then I'll go see the movie you want to see, and it's like a you're both giving something, and then maybe she'll become interested. Yeah. After that, and I guess one more point I would make is if you find a game that they like. Just play that game. <laughs> like, right. I also make the mistake of always trying to introduce Esther to new games because that's just my my thing. And she gets frustrated, like, you know, why you keep teaching me new games? So she's right. By yeah, the way. it's better to just <laughs> if you find a, like a handful of games that they like, just play those. There's nothing wrong with that. That's much better than not playing a game. Yeah. 
All right. It's always an interesting topic. Yep. Chris, what's your next question from page 40? <laughs> I have to look into why that happened. <laughs> this is from uh, Holomom. I'd be interested in hearing. <laughs> I didn't. I guess I didn't read this question ahead of time. I'd be interested in hearing how you convince non-gaming family members into willing gaming participants. Oh, same question. Oh, yeah, it's it's same basically question. the same thing. So we'll give you credit for that question as well. Sorry. <laughs> Next question. This is interesting. So this is from James Castellanos. I'd like to hear about obscure board gaming themes. Keep up the good work, guys. I'd also like to hear a topic about Christianity and board gaming, but that might be better for another podcast like Dice Steeple. So it's interesting that he asks us because, you know, religion is one of those things that is a sensitive issue. But I think what could be an interesting topic is how religion, not Christianity per se, but religion in general, how it affects games you will or will not play. Um, and then how does it affect get what you do within the game? Because like in our group, we have a, we have a melting pot of people. We have Christians, Muslims, Baha'i, atheists, Catholics, and I'm pretty sure we have a vampire in the room, <laughs> <laughs> but Billy Corgan said the world is a vampire. He also said he saw a shapeshifter. Did you hear about that? Smashing Pumpkins just reunited. Did you did you guys hear Is about James this? Is James Iha in again? They're all in they except for the girl. Out. Yeah, the the girl is the only one who's not in. Huh? They're like touring and everything. And I heard this interview with Billy Corrigan, and he he said he's it's William. William. He doesn't go by Billy. It's William. I didn't know. He that. changed it to William. Yes, it's William. All right. And is that how he says it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, he said that he saw a shapeshifter and he was standing by it. It was weird. It was it, he was being really strange about it, but he was was he on drugs? I don't think he was. Are you sure? He, he seemed really serious about it. You, you Google it. It's it's out there. There's some details on. I think the common theory is that he said it was somebody that couldn't. It couldn't have been. He looked at them and then turned away and then looked back and it was somebody else. They literally changed into a different person. And and he was swearing by it. And then I don't know what the deal is, but he said he was swearing that she shapeshifted, whoever it was. What in the world? I don't know. It, it's, we're getting way off topic. I didn't know they got back together. Yeah. I like, I like Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins is a good band. That was a great story. I got to look yeah. this up now. Billy Corgan, shapeshifter. Google it. Okay. It's interesting. I mean, he was. He's he, probably tripping. He seemed like he didn't seem like he was joking about well, it. Uh, but I mean, when it happened, I would like to know the state of his mind. Right. Well, you know? true. <laughs> he, he just, he came off as very rational in, in the interview, but I don't know. You're right. It doesn't make sense. He was staying out with Marilyn Manson too. Really? So I'm not sure if I would trust uh, anything. Billy yeah, Manson maybe says. you're right. Well, anyway, I thought it was an interesting question from the standpoint of how do your religious views affect your gaming? It doesn't matter what your religion is, you know, cause we've had some games where some people in our group won't play them if they're too violent. Or the certain kind of, or I shouldn't say too violent. I don't think we've ever had that, but there's like alcohol in a game. Nor narcotics. Narcotics. Yeah, that's why I didn't buy the Godfather. Right. That's a perfect example. Yeah. And it can affect gaming. It, yeah. it, it's not really a specific religion. It's just religion in general. The Dead of Winter, the new expansion, well, it's not new. The Long Night, it came with a pack of not safe for work cards. So like, I won't even use those. I didn't even open them. Like, I don't want them in my game. It's like what are they? It's like they're crossroads cards that have like very adult themes. Ah. So and they put them in a special envelope so that you know like these cards make the game mature rating versus not mature. 
And so they give you a choice, which I appreciate, and I just don't. My choice is not to include right. them. Right. And then there, there have been games that the theme of what you're doing in the game is too close. It, it, because of my religion, the theme is too close to something like very anti-God. And I just won't play it. And, and you don't need to because there's so many games out there. Like, why make yourself play this game that makes you uncomfortable when you can just play another game? Sure, yeah. So, another interesting thing that happened to me one time is I bought a game at Origins, actually. And then after I bought it, the guy the guy who designed the game said that all the proceeds from the game were going to support this religion, this other religion that wasn't my religion. And that bothered it bothered me a little bit. Mm. But I didn't find out till after I bought the game. Yeah. And it's not that I'm anti-other religions, but... I don't donate money to other religions. So I don't know that I kind of wish it would have said that up front. Like if you're going to buy this game, the proceeds are going here, but he can do what he wants with the money. So there's that too. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Tim really doesn't have any opinion. No, no but it, but you know that our gaming group is diverse. Oh, right? extremely. So diverse. you can see some of the effects. I just think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I it's, know it's that's, that's probably one of the best things of our gaming group is that it is so diverse and we've got lots of differing backgrounds and views and stuff like that and it's kind of cool to see how it all coalesces yeah yep one of the best things about board gaming it's like the perfect uh, yeah brings everybody together pitch for board i'm curious about this other part of his question obscure board game themes got anything for that one obscure board so what how do you interpret that he wants to hear about some themes of games that are obscure. Like what's an example? Like an donuts I think that's for donuts. And I think this is a question. He wants go. us to give some examples. Donut donuts for donuts? Yeah, that's, that's pretty obscure. It's pretty obscure. So obscure. Well, I mean if somebody came down and said, hey. The theme is donuts. I, it's not really I, obscure. I, I, I know, but would that be like a normal game? <laughs> define normal. Yeah, I think we need to define obscure. Yeah, that's so what I mean. I think obscure in Tim's definition is there aren't a lot of games with that theme. Ah. But unique. Unique. Yeah. And, so you know, maybe that's a little different. And someone coming up into you and saying, I got this really great game. And you start thinking fantasy or this or that. And he goes, we're going to do donuts. <laughs> and you're just like, what? <laughs> Seems a little off, right? So, But don't you think when people design games, the mechanic comes first and the theme comes second? Mm-hmm. To some degree. But sometimes no, I think the, the, sometimes the theme... You mean you could in, in the design process? Yeah, because you could make donuts, donuts for donuts in any theme. Yeah, and have this exact same game. I think it's in that me- scenario it was, but I don't think that's always the case. Like Scythe, he actually started with a theme. True. Uh, there are, and I think the games that well, start that's with a, a unique theme. theme. Yeah, true. And I think games that start with a theme to me are better games usually. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, because I had the point in our last podcast way back when about uh, Tiny Epic Quest and how they seemed to rush the theme when they developed it because. You could tell they had the mechanic of the arrows, and right. then they just sort of squeezed it into these parallel rivers. Yeah. And I think if they had the theme first, maybe they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I can't think of any obscure themes, except for games that are based on obscure IPs. Yeah. IPs? Yeah. Intellectual property. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like um, you guys. I'm sure fancy pants here. Like, um, like, sometimes there's games that come out that are based on, like, little-known comic strips, like web comics, like things I know nothing about. Yeah. And it's... And it's like only people who are into that. Like there's a Munchkin Axe Cop. Like I don't know how popular Axe Cop is. I had never heard of it. 
And then this Munchkin version of it came out and it was like, what is this? It was actually pretty funny, but I, but it was pretty obscure. Like I didn't, you had to know what Axe was for it to, for you to be interested in it, I guess. But other than that, I don't know. I don't. Well, it's risky because they're alienating people who don't know about it. Right. Uh, another example, actually, I just thought of is um, there is a game that I actually reviewed in a Ryan's review called Release, which was, it was all based on software development and not just software development, but oh God. but like the characters that were in it were like, I guess, well-known developers from history. <laughs> and I had no idea who any of these people were. So none of it made Can any you imagine? sense. Okay. Worker placement, software development with like release night. Yeah. That's, oh, that's like God. real life. I don't need to play that. Yeah, I don't game. need to do that. I've, I've done enough of those for yeah. real. But it was that's actually funny. a very fun trick-taking game. But it was like, I didn't understand the theme at all. Mm. Uh, it, was compl- <laughs> it was the most obscure theme I've ever had in a game. You had to be a really select group of people to even understand what what the cards even said. They're using all this terminology, too, that I didn't understand. That You guys would probably understand it because you're developers. So you would need, like, an electronic workplace uh, standardization game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someone comes and asks you for a new phone because their screen's broken. you got to counter it with a new boss policy that says no broke phones. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on. Back to page one. Author. Crazy Monkey 75. Crazy Monkey. Says, how about discussing what games will become a classic in time and what makes a game classic? The other topic would be board gaming as addiction. Do you think that's a possibility? Right here. That's an easy answer. Ryan. Is it possible to be playing, collecting, buying too many board games (laughs) that it becomes a problem? Uh, Ryan? Do you want to answer that one? (laughs) That's an easy answer. I definitely think it's possible to become addicted to buying and collecting board games. Just like any other hobby could be addictive. If you have an addictive personality, anything can be addictive and anything can be not healthy, including board games. So check yourself. If before you wreck yourself. Yeah, before you go too far. Now, about games becoming a classic in time, or what games will become a classic and what makes a game classic. So what are some games that we've played well, that I, you think it, could become classic? So are they instances of the game being played, or are they the game themselves? In other words, like decry- that Decrypto game was a classic game. No, I think, I think what it means, like, if you look at classic games right now, you would think things like Monopoly, Chess. Oh, so they last the test of time and will be around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly it would have to be something that's not easily obsoleted, which is rare these days Mm because a lot of games are obsoleted. So I don't know what would be a good example of that. So, and the part of the question is what makes a game classic? Well, I think the fact that there are classic games like Monopoly, it shows you, and this is was a point I was trying to bring up when you were bashing Monopoly in the past, is that it was a really good game. It was a very well-designed game. The fact that it stood the test of time, I don't think that's easy to do. Yeah, there are better games than it, but the fact that it's still being played after all these years, how many years has that been around? 50? It's been around forever. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what's your number one game right now? Scythe. Well, will that game be around in 50 years? Uh, no way. You don't think so? No way. There's going to be games that are very similar to it with little improvements. So they'll build on it. It's still a great game, but people will build on the shoulders of it and become better games. I don't think there are any classic games right now. I think there are. I think Codenames is becoming a classic. And That's I, already been obsoleted. But it's still, it's sold like, I think it's sold like a million copies. Monopoly came out in 1933. Wow. Wow, that's way older than I thought. 
So th- there's no way code names will be around in 50 years. Because there's other no, games. So that do we the same think thing. it's obsolete, but we're thinking about hobby gaming. Codenames has broken into the mass market. Right, but classic means that people will be playing codenames right, decades it, from now. And the game like Decrypto, there's no chance will be around in 50 Agreed. years. Agreed. But codenames, since it broke into the mass market, will be. That's that's the real key, is getting into the larger market. No, I there's games that get in larger market and then fizzle though. Like they'll be around, they'll be hot, but then they'll burn out. Like exploding kittens. I don't know if that was that made it? My wife brought that home from Target. I know it's. I know. Did that. she really? Yeah. Wow. I told her take it back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's a Target. That's available there. So, but I don't think that's going to cross over to. Well, even if people like that game, it's not going to be classic. The question classic. isn't good games it's or really or hot games. It's replayability, classic. longevity, and mass appeal, and longevity. Yeah. I mean, games like that are easy to obsolete. Games like code names are easy to obsolete. I think it needs simple rules. So I think Ticket to Ride, Catan, those are kind of becoming classics already. Yeah. People are saying Azul could become a classic. I could see Catan being a classic because yeah. it's such an in-betweener. It's a tweener game. And there's not a lot of games that are they cover both sides that well. I could see something like King of Tokyo even crossing over. It's, I think it already has. Yeah, I think that's one of those. Like, it's it's King of Tokyo. I could see being a classic. I could see that because that they've tried to improve it and it hasn't worked. Yeah, and nothing's obsoleted it, and yeah. it's still playable. I mean, that's not a game you don't play it every week, but you could play it every year, yeah, or a couple times a year, and it's still fun. And there's the the thing is, there's nothing better than it that does the same thing right. that it does. Right, and I think that is the key. Yeah, you, you, you didn't never obsoleted Monopoly, and that's why it's still around. It's the 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 desire, and nothing can top it in that genre. It's an interesting challenge, though. I would love to see someone make a a game that is like a similar thing to Monopoly, but better. I don't think you can because you, then you're getting into a different game. It, the game would change too much. I mean, like Stockpile, for example, because it's the similarly themed, and you know you're like trading stocks or whatever, but it's it's too different than Monopoly. I mean, Monopoly is simple; like anybody can play that game. Yeah. But yet, if you're very serious and strategic and competitive, and you want to win, you can also play that game. I know that you hate it, but it's been around since when? 1933. That's old. That's crazy old. It's almost as old as Chris. <laughs> yeah. Tim's almost my age. We're similarly aged. Almost is the key word. Almost, yeah. It's a key word. But yeah, it, it, what, what else is classic? You, you had a lot of classic like 80s games that you would consider like you still would play. Yeah, but I don't know that they're classics, right? They're not mainstream. I mean, Stop Thief. I mean, if Stop Thief was classic, they wouldn't have had to done a reboot. So does it have to be mainstream to be classic? I think so. I think, so. I think that's the only thing that's going to keep the longevity because we wouldn't have had to do a reboot if they just kept printing the original one, right? It was it would still be out there. Mm. Yeah, I think it has to break in. I think it has to break into the mass market and obviously stay there for it to become. Because it's like you know, I agree. Because like, it depends like, on how you define classic. When Skipbo came out, you could. It's not like they stopped making Skipbo and someone reintroduced Skipbo. It's just kind of it's, it's just kind of always there. You walk into a Target and Skipbo is going to be in there. I. Don't I think everyone would game. have to know. Like, you don't even know Skipbo? I, I, no. Well, Is that a kid's game? It's a card game. Yeah, it's a card game, but yeah, it's kind of a kid's game. We played it all the time when we were younger. It's, it's like next to Uno on the yeah. on the oh, shelf. Okay. But like, but basically, I think the point is, I think for it to be a classic, over half the people that know, like hear the name of it knows what it is. Okay. Like that in my mind. So it's got to be mainstream. To then. me, I think it has to yeah. be. Okay. Well, that's an important distinction because like 
D and D is classic. That's been around since the seventies. Yeah, yeah and, I, would, I would agree that is, and it's still playable. People yep. still play it, but it's not mainstream. I but mean, it, I it's think not it in is what, But you know what though? If you go say Dungeons and Dragons to almost anybody, even if they don't play it, they know what it is, right? Is, but we just, dis- we just we just said mainstream. Classic means mainstream. It means it, it should be in Target then. Are you sure it isn't in Target? I've seen like D and D stuff in Target. Have you? Yeah. Maybe. Would you consider D and D mainstream? I mean, it's, people know it. That's not the same as mainstream, though. So, you're, yeah, now we're distinguishing between everyone knows it and whether it's mainstream. Yeah. I guess there is a, a little bit of a difference. Because I would say D&D is classic, but I don't knows, think it fits the mainstream criteria. Because everyone kind of knows Magic the Gathering, too. Same with that. I was yeah. going to say that. That game is the, almost it's 30 years old now. It's 90s? 94. So 20, 20 years old. Yeah. Going 25 30. years old. Yeah. Yep. So... I mean, that's a long time, and that's still going strong. And I would look at that as classic, but it's definitely not mainstream. So maybe it's not classic then. It's really interesting. Actually. Yeah. I don't know. I So maybe it's really that the average person knows about it. Yeah. In that case, then, I think D&D is classic. I think Magic is classic. And as far as current board games, I think, honestly, your example, Tim's example, King of Tokyo, I can see that being a classic game yeah. in the future. I yeah. could see it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think 20 years from now the way I'm thinking about this question is 20 years from now, what games will be in Walmart or just anywhere that you can buy games? I don't know the King of Tokyo be in Walmart or target, well, but I still is. think it's, it is it? now. I, don't know. I think, I I think it's, it will be it's kind of got it. That's one of those that's easily played with family members who are not big time gamers. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's got the whole kind of dinosaur monster theme. So kids are kind of, you know, Go towards that, you know. Yeah. There's one problem. The problem is that a lot of these companies aren't very big. Yeah. So if they go out of business and no one gets the rights to the game, then it's going to die. Whereas Monopoly is owned by Hasbro, who's like a ginormous company. It's never going to die. Yeah. So yeah, but they're ginormous because of Monopoly, though. But my but my point is, if if a game is going to stay on the shelves in 20 years, that company that makes the game has to stay in business for 20 years. Or the game has to be bought up by, by a bigger Which company. Which it will be if it's selling. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. What other games would you say would be classics in 20, 30 years? They'd still, they'd still be in stores, games of today. I don't think there's a lot. Asmodee is trying to release a line of games they're calling the modern classics. So they're trying to push the idea that certain games are should be considered classics. <laughs> they're you just marketing it that. like that. That's funny. I don't know if they market it enough, you might start to believe it. Yeah. They've got the money to do it. So. But that's one that's time will tell. Yeah, definitely. But do you, can you think of any other ones? It's an interesting question. Uh, like I said, I mean, people are saying Azul could become one. Uh, there's games in my mind that have the potential to become a classic. Like, I, I think they have all the rights, they have everything going for them, but more people have to play them. Like, Photosynthesis comes to mind. I think that has the potential to become a classic game, but. More people need to play it, and the word needs to get. I, I would, I would bet against that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem. But I, I mean, because they're, they're going to make another game like it. It's, it's not, it's, it's not unique enough. I mean, its theme is kind of cool, and the mechanic, it's, it's, it's a good game. But there's going to be other games similar enough to it that come along. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but time, time will tell. Time it's will interesting tell. to think about, though. All right, I think we have time for one more, Chris. Well, man, what you got from page forty-five? <laughs> Crazy Galoot. I think it would be interesting to hear a conversation about evolving tastes and preferences from gamers through the years. It could apply to the hobby in general, but I'm thinking more on a personal level. How and why do gamers burn themselves out in certain types of games? 
Can it be avoided? Do you simply get bored of certain mechanics, themes, and styles? I know my tastes have changed pretty drastically in the past several years, so it'd be interesting to hear other points of view. And to me, what stood out in this question is the concept of a mechanic being interesting, which I think, I think there's, there's really, there's two different kinds of gamers. There's some gamers that just want to play the game and they like the competition and the camaraderie and the game tells a story and they can metagame afterward and the, the, the experience of gameplay is why they're doing it. And the other is they like opening the cards and smelling them and setting it up and organizing <laughs> it and the click for you when the, the, the mechanic sort of you get it and you want to see how good can you do with this mechanic personally. And it's not about all those other things I mentioned. And that's an interesting difference because I think those, the people in group B there could get bored of a mechanic. If they, if it's just, they're just done with that typical mechanic and they don't want to play it anymore, despite the fact that the game could be competitive and fun and tell a story and challenging and all that. So, I mean, do you see yourself? I think Ryan specifically, you, you could, I could see you getting bored of a mechanic. Yeah. It's like I got bored of social deduction, for example. So I used to love social deduction games and now I've seriously just in my mind tabled them thinking that I might want to revisit maybe in five years. I won't buy a new one. And with the exception of one I just backed, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I couldn't help myself. One week ultimate werewolf. One, one week. One week. Oh, interesting. It's a board game that uses the mechanics of one night, but you're exploring Mad King Ludwig's castle, and someone is a, like a murderer and you're a werewolf or something. You're trying to figure out who that they are. That sounds freaking awesome yeah and it's like a 45 minute board game uh i'm in so i don't know they got me with their stretch goals and stuff but anyways doesn't that sound fun it does but for the most part i got tired of the short social deduction games i think that one interested me because it seemed like more of a deduction game than a social deduction game which i i still am interested in what other mechanics would you say are susceptible to this duck building would be one Mm. that i think you could burn out on I think legacy could be one. Uh, just the legacy, the whole legacy thing. That surprises me. I thought you liked that. I do, but I'm kind of. I'm not. It's not as novel as it used to be. So now mm. a new, a lot, not a lot, but some new ones are coming out. And I'm at first when I heard legacy, I was like, "Ooh, legacy!" But now I'm kind of like, "Eh, I don't need to play every legacy game." Like it has to have these certain elements, or I'm not really that interested. Well, that should that should be every game. You don't have to play every new game. You got to play the ones that are actually interesting. Yeah. Now, an interesting part of his question is, can it be avoided or how can you avoid it? And for me, like I kind of burned out on Alien Frontiers from playing it too much. So I think one way you can avoid it is don't don't play a game too much, which sounds weird. But I mean, play your games. But if you keep playing the same games over and over and over, you're going to get sick of them. Like One Night Werewolf, we got sick of. Well, Chris didn't, but everyone else. No, I, I, I was wearing down it because we, play, we played that game by far more than any other game. Not just instances, but time. We spent a lot of time on that game. And of course, we're going to get burned out on it. Yeah, because there's only so many variations of how the game will play out. But I'm taking the opposite opinion of what you just said. I think that you should play a game to death. It's like driving a car. You drive it until you can't drive it anymore and you buy a new car. I think that games should be, they're there to be enjoyed and you should keep playing them. And like you got sick of Alien Frontiers, that's okay. Move on to the next thing. 
And and that's that's good. It's better than having Alien Frontiers sitting on your shelf when it's fun. Well, his question was, how do you avoid burning out, though? So you're saying you don't avoid it. Well, I think I don't get burned out on a mechanic. I can get burned out on a game. But if a mecha- if if there's a mechanic of a game and the game is fun, I'm not going to get burned out on it if it's fun. I don't really care as much about the mechanic if the game is fun. And that could be it could be the same game we've always played. If you have a good group of people and you're having fun and you're banter and you're playing it's that's all good i don't care i wouldn't get sick of the mechanic so like for let's take go back to deck building like dominion was just straight deck building now if you played dominion so much that you got sick of it you basically are not just sick of dominion but you've probably burned yourself out on deck building in general so if there's another game that's also deck building but it feels like dominion then you're probably not gonna yeah but interested in that game either. if i had fun in this example, with all those Dominion games, then it's worth it. But but you're you're right in the sense that if there's other games that could be playing that are just as fun as Dominion, then I shouldn't burn myself out on it. Well, I'm saying that if the mechanic is so if the mechanic is the same and you burn yourself out on that one game, yeah. you might be burned out on other games that have the same mechanic. Yeah, but then does it matter if you're going to play them or not? Because if it's the same game with a different theme or something, it's the same game. Yeah, well, and I'm just kind of answering this question is, yeah. can you get burned out on a mechanic? I, I guess what I'm saying is, if there's a mechanic that's the core of a game and you burn out on that game, you might burn out on other games that have the same mechanic. Yeah, I get that. It's the same with any the, any any mechanic, even worker placement or any, yeah. anything. But but I still think that if the game is different enough, I would still... that, that I'm less susceptible, I think, to that for whatever reason. I, I would probably be okay with playing another deck building game if I got sick of one of them. And I actually don't think you burned out on deck building. I think you just don't like it. Well, I liked it at first. <laughs> I don't think you'd like it anymore, though. I don't. <laughs> but I don't think it's because you burned out. I think you just, it's not fun. Just yeah. In general. Like in, in five years, I think you're still not going to like it. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Tim didn't really chime in there. No, I mean, I, I have the same thing as I don't think I'd really, I don't really burn out on the mechanics or, and stuff like that. I think I burn out on the simplicity of the game. Like if a game is simple, and you're playing it, and it kind of goes the same way same every time. That that will bore me, and that will make me stop. But if it's several different strategies to win, several different paths you could go, that's what keeps me interested in, in playing more and more. So mechanics, they don't. I don't know. I, I don't think I would get bored of yeah. you know the mechanic per se. You know, if two games are doing worker placement, I might get bored of the way the one game implements worker placement and the number of paths you can do to win and maybe the other games worker placement but it's completely different is how it works you know it's you're still doing placement but it's the way the game resolves those things so i don't don't see that being an effect to me yeah the playability of the game has a lot to do with it like um rising sun yeah i'm shocked i remember the name of it that game looks really good it's like beautiful and it's elegant but there's a problem potentially we don't know yet with the way it ends like it seems like there's only one way to end seems like don't know yet if that's true i don't want to play the game anymore but it, that has nothing to do with the mechanic it has to do with the design a design flaw or maybe i just prefer games where there's more than one way to win but assuming that's true yeah if that's not true then i'll keep playing it but assuming that's true i think that is more of a showstopper than getting tired of a mechanic yeah i would agree yeah well, I think that wraps up episode 43. You can find our website at outofgamepodcast.com. If you'd like to talk to us via the interwebs, 
go to our BGG Guild. That's BGG Guild 1990. What's something interesting that happened in 1990? You were like 40 then. <laughs> 40? Yeah. Oh, right? I wasn't 40. I was like 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's about the same as Tim, right? About 20 years old ish. So, yeah. So I was, you were 20. I, what happened I, in 1990? I was 20. That was when I started working. I was like out in the real world. It was my first job. Yeah. Where'd you work? I worked at an environmental lab. And what we did was we monitored groundwater around landfills to make sure the landfills weren't leaking. And we kept the earth safe. Well, actually, we didn't do anything except monitor. But uh, we had 100 people at this lab, and they thought that we just had a license to print money. We would be around forever because they were always going to need us. Right. And that ends up not being the case. Uh, So it was a good job. Interesting. Worked there for six years. What'd you do when you were there? I was a software developer at that job. It was my very first software development job, and I was labeled a hacker, and the people in IT hated me. Oh, well, that's pretty much because the same I, as today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they ever tell you a story and they threw away my birthday card? No. So, you know how they would take like the manila envelope and they would put like a list of names on it, and you would sign the card and then cross your name on and just pass it to yeah, the next person? Yeah. So that's how we did it. And so uh, one of the admins uh, came by and she said, Chris, you know, did you get your, your birthday card? It was like the end of the day. And I said, no, I didn't even know there was one. And she said, what do you mean? And, and so she checked. She like and did some investigation <laughs> on it. And somebody on the list threw the card away is what it turned out that happened. Wow. And the funny thing about this story is when she told me that, I wasn't surprised. It didn't surprise me even for a second. And I, I was, what surprised me was that she would put all the people in IT on the list. Yeah. And, but she was appalled. She, she almost was in tears over it that that happened to me. And so the next day I came in, I got along with like the business and the chemists and the, the non IT people really well. They really liked me and I liked them more so than the IT people. And so there were these cupcakes and cakes and brownies. All of my, over the spanning my desk was all this stuff. Wow. The next day they were so sweet. But yeah, not, not really get along with IT. That's yeah. well. The uh, Hubble ta- the Hubble Space Telescope was launched in 1990. That's still going strong. That's a classic. There you go. The Hubble the Hubble Telescope's a classic. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny because I was working at 1990. I was at Argon. Wow. Doing my internship, and we were doing software that was monitoring pollution. Ah. And we were writing software that would you know. Figure out how much, you know, how many scrubbers and this and that it would take to make the air clean when it comes out of factories and stuff like that. So it's kind of like the whole environmental thing there, too. Interesting. So in 19. 19- Argon is cool. It's, they do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. In 1990, I was kicking a grand slam to win the fifth grade kickball tournament. <laughs> nice. Field day. That's what I was doing in 1990. Nice. Speaking of Ryan kicking a kickball, I, I, I feel like I have to point this out. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know Ryan or hasn't seen his picture, he looks just like the character in The Karate Kid, uh, Johnny Lawrence. And they're coming out with a sequel. I saw like, that. Yeah, they're sort of rebooting The Karate Kid with they're bringing back uh, Ralph Macchio and the guy who played like yeah. your twin yeah. is going to be on there. They're opening up the uh, the Cobra Kai again. They're, yeah. I couldn't really tell what was going on with the plot. Like I couldn't tell. It looks it was- like Daniel is like a used car salesman. <laughs> And then, like, he still rivals with this guy. Yeah. So he opens up the Cobra Kai again. It almost seemed like Daniel was the villain, though, in the preview. It was very, I, I couldn't really understand. But I think it's a YouTube yeah, show. I think it is, too. YouTube is tapping into the whole Netflix thing now. Yep. Building on the nostalgia. 
That would be an obscure theme. A Karate Kid game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone knows it, but it's, I guess, but it'd be an obscure board game. Yeah. And if you sweep the leg, you cause controversy <laughs> among your friends. <laughs> and some people could quit. <laughs> Not talk to you for the rest of the night. <laughs> Repair the bonsai tree. You repair get, the get, bonsai. Get if you get point. enough repair the bonsai tree, you can do the crane kick. Yeah. And win the game. That's like a that's an end game move. <laughs> Problem is then the crane kick would always win the game, so it'd be the same ending, so the game wouldn't be popular. Because yeah. crane kick always wins. Well, unless you're in the karate kid too. When he tried the crane kick on that guy from Japan, he just laughed at him, grabbed his foot and twisted it and slammed him on the ground. Yeah, yeah the, the new one was the punch, the drum punch. The drum punch. Yeah, the drum punch. That trumps the crane kick. Right. Who knew it? Interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, I don't know what we. <laughs> I have no <laughs> we're idea. We're in the outro right now. Yeah. So you can find us on Twitter or Stitcher at OG Podcast. You can follow our Facebook page or our Facebook group at facebook.com. Let me say that again. You can follow our Facebook page or our Facebook group at OG Podcast as well. I don't know what to say for this. Come to our Facebook group, OG Podcast. Forget about the Facebook page. What's the yeah. link to the Just Facebook? How do the they Facebook find page. us? Do they search on, they go into Facebook and search OOG. Will that get them to us? OOG podcast. Okay. We'll get them to us. So erase, 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 erase. So go to Facebook and search on out of game podcast. Also OOG podcast. Will they both work? I don't think so. Or did I get it wrong? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think you got it wrong. Hold on. We're not sure. Record it both ways, and then he can take the one he wants. Well, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna leave all this in. This is great. I'm gonna try it. Longest right now. outro ever. Ooh, he's doing it. So I'm in Facebook. So oh. I'm gonna search on oh, yeah. demo. OG OG Podcast. Yep. OG Podcast works if I type out of game. Yep. So either one works. All right. Find us on Facebook at Out of Game Podcast or yeah. OG Podcast. Either one. Whatever but, but you want. Join the group and not the page. Yeah. Well, you can like the yeah, page. The, the page is just a page. Like the page, join the group. Like the page, join the group. Just group imagine the page is bringing you the thing to come to the group. Yeah. He's just a page. The page is our way of random people finding us. So we need to use the page, but the group is for our listeners. Yeah, join the group. He's the page that you pay to go do stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> send us an email at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can send listener questions. Leave us a voicemail at 40OGOG80. That's 406-646-6480. I guess that's easier to remember. For great games at amazing prices, shop at CoolStuffInc.com. And for more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to DicetowerNetwork.com. Good night. Thanks for listening. Good night. You could uh, just bring a Target bag down with you. That would dissolve, wouldn't it? We could bring uh, adult diapers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I might. Let me just that. throw them away at the end okay. of the night. Okay. Yeah. So uh, pizza will be fifteen dollars. It includes pizza and an adult diaper. <laughs> Can I just pee into the litter box? Uh, no. It would clump. <laughs> yeah, but you'd probably clump up half the litter box. <laughs> <laughs> That'd actually be a fun experiment to pee into a litter box. Uh, do you have a disad that like you can't? aim like if you went in the letterbox and just sprayed everywhere like against the wall like you shiver and it just like dots the wall oh my god <laughs> uh, oh my you got a lot of editing to do yeah. <laughs> it's semi-gaming related <laughs> it could be a game it could be would that be a dexterity game just put a little target in there <laughs> gamifying urination yep. uh, okay probably thought of it
Question number one was uh, put in from uh, Tim. He's like, why do you guys care about The Bachelor? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He he sent that question rapidly. And he sounds very uh, impassioned. (laughs) He doesn't like it. You and Jess should try it. Yeah, no. I don't even think she would get into it. I, I think she would probably take away my man card for even suggesting it. Face off. I like face off. Fortunately, that's ending. Let's face off. Face, uh, they get uh, makeup artists together and they, they actually do makeups and they compete. And that's manly? They are making monsters and vampires and stuff. Oh. Are you sure they're way down? Yeah, yeah that's you, on page 38. Yeah, you're like... Page 38? Yeah, you went way <laughs> What? Down yeah, it's bottom. on page 38. That's a different problem then. I have Come to figure on. out what happened with my, my yeah, list of questions. I don't here. understand how that happened. I could have swore I you must the did top like block. Control end or something and went to the bottom or something. And <laughs> it's very strange. I had to listen for like unique words in the questions and search for them <laughs> so I could find them. 